Vente Cinnamon Sueño. Thank you. You're welcome. Can I get you anything else today? No, thank you. All right, enjoy. <laughs> a cinnamon what? <laughs> Is that even on the menu? It's new. Is it any good? Yeah. Would you like one? No, no, that's okay. Hey, but do you mind if I have a seat? Oh, no, please. You look, uh, Awfully busy. I'm a busy person, Monica Ritchie. I'm sure you've heard of me. Yes, you're the, uh, the CEO. Yes, yes. Um, I manage a very important corporation, and uh, we deal in matters of finances, and, well, I'm in charge of a lot of people. That, uh, that sounds stressful. Oh, it can be at times, but I'm well compensated. But 
I do believe in giving to charities. I, I recently made a personal donation, donation to a philanthropic organization that helps children throughout the world with their medical benefits and an education. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very admirable. My, my parents are getting older, and so I've arranged for them to be put in the best alternative care facility in the United States. They're being very well taken care of. <laughs> Honor your mother and father, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. <clears throat> they, uh, they didn't think I'd make it. Uh, my, my parents... My mom especially, oh, she's the old-fashioned, stay-at-home, dress-hemming, never-go-anywhere type. She thought I should start a family instead of a career. She told me I was headed down a beautiful, dead-end road. Do you want a family? No, no. My career is all the family I need. And it's not about the money. <laughs> then give it all away. What? <laughs> well, if it's not about the money, then give it all away. No. No, I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Why not? Well, if I give away all my money, how can I help people? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Why did you tell me all this? Well, for affirmation, I suppose. Affirmation? Well, if a stranger thinks you're a good person, well, maybe, maybe you are. I got the idea for a series, the series that we're starting today on a day just about like this back in October. Let me just take a few moments to tell you how it developed. <clears throat> I had promised Mary Alice to take her on a shopping trip. There are some stores that she kind of likes to shop at, and we have them here in Wichita, but there are larger stores in the Overland Park area of Kansas City. They have a little more inventory, and so I told her we'd take a trip up there and, and do some shopping last fall. The only thing about shopping with Mary Alice is... Uh, that she's always trying to make me happy or please me with what she buys. And, and primarily, I'm just concerned about her being happy. And, and I tend to be a pretty positive person in, my, in what I say about stuff. And, and there have been several times when Mary Alice would say, well, what do you think about this? Do you like this outfit better? Do you like this outfit better? And any husband who would even answer that question is ready for analysis, I assure you. But, uh, you know, and so from time to time, I've watched her put stuff back on the shelf, and I'll say, why did you put that back? I like that. She said, well, I read your eyes. 
So here we are, you know, we're, we're on the shopping trip, and, and I'm just determined that she's going to get what she likes. And I said, here's how this is going to work. I'm just going to leave you at this shopping area and these, where the stores are that you like to shop, and I'm going to give you just several hundred dollars, and, and, and I'm going to just get out of the picture because I don't want my face, my eyes, or anything to be around so that I can com- communicate anything negative about anything. I just want you to get what you like. And I said, I'm going to go down to this little coffee shop here, and, and, and I'm going to be there for a couple hours, and I'll come back and get you. If that's not enough time, I'll come back later than that. And so I, she was doing the shopping, and I went to this coffee shop and sat down. looked about like this. And as I said, it was just this kind of day. In fact, I just felt really strange when I woke up this morning and looked out and saw the cold weather with the drizzly stuff, because back in October in Kansas City, it was just this kind of day. And I walked in and ordered my my coffee and sat down in a chair, and and, uh, I had my Bible with me, this very Bible, in fact, and I was reading the Sermon on the Mount. You know, regardless of however many years I've been preaching or teaching, or that I've read the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount is just always fresh to me. It's just Jesus covering every major topic. And I got lost in it. For 45 minutes, I was just sitting there reading and thinking and meditating about the Sermon on the Mount. And for some reason, I looked up, and and I had really lost the idea that time was passing. And when I looked up, I saw there were a lot of other customers in this coffee shop. For instance, there was a woman on whom the character of Monica is based. She was there in a business suit. She had her laptop out. She was marketing a product to somebody. There was a mother reading a story to a little boy. And I looked up just in time to see a guy walk in. He was clearly very down about something. And you could just read his body language to see that he was really down. He, he ordered his coffee. He came in, sat right across from me, and just kind of sunk into a leather chair. And his chin was down in his collar. And I mean, you could tell he was really low. And I looked at all these people in the coffee shop, and I thought, you know, I've just been so enjoying Jesus. I mean, just this 45 minutes I'd had in this coffee shop on this cold day, thinking about Jesus and meditating on him and and all these things that he was saying and all these answers that he had to life's issues, I began to wonder, will these people in this coffee shop ever know the Jesus I know? And from that, I began to think about something else. You know, a lot of you, you've grown up in a church environment, and you got an idea, you know, church is like this, and then regular life is like this, and you sort of compartmentalize that, and you think, you know, Jesus is the stained glass thing. You know, I go to church, and, you know, we're quiet, we meditate, we sing songs, and there's Jesus, he's in the stained glass. But if you've gone back in time, the Jesus of the Bible is entirely different from that. He met people where they were. He met people beside wells, at the docks, in the streets. Our Lord just met people wherever they were, and he encountered all kinds of people, and not all of them were religious. In fact, most of them weren't. And I thought as I sat there, this is the kind of place Jesus would go. He would go here because there were people, you know, sitting around and talking with each other. I thought, this is the kind of place that Jesus would go, and he would talk to people. And I thought, wouldn't it be something if Jesus could talk to these people that I'm seeing here? And then it hit me. He did. He talked to people in the Bible. You know, again, like I say, many of us have this church idea that when, you know, you go to church, you see pictures of Peter and Paul and Mary. I'm not talking about the singing group, but, you know, you, 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 see, you see pictures of all these Bible characters, and they have this faraway look on their eyes and delicate features and halos around their heads. Shake that. That's not what those people were like. You take Peter and Paul and John and James, you take them to the mall, dress them up like you and me, and they look just like us. And I began to think about people that Jesus encountered. And by the time I picked Mary Alice up, I said, you got to look. And I showed her this series was born, and today it comes to life. We're going to look at four people that Jesus met. 
in modern day settings like you saw in the drama, but also we're going to go back in the Bible and we're going to look at these people and what they were like and how Jesus talked to them and what we can learn from them today in 2006. The guy in today's story is a lot like Monica. I got to tell you, he was an attractive person. He was rich, he was young, he was powerful, and he was nice. In fact, the Bible tells this story three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. And we pick up details from each one of these gospels. So you can really understand, it's very important to God that you and I get this story. He told it three times. I mean, I'm saying, this is the kind of guy, if you have daughters, you want your daughter to marry this kind of guy. He's rich, and he made his money when he was young. Well, not only is he rich, but he's nice. He's religious. He's a leader. He's even a leader in the religious system. And he's just, you know, he's a beautiful person. Now, the only thing is, there's one thing that's bothering him. He's thinking to himself, I've got so much, but he, 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 had, a, he had an area of his life that was a deep concern. And that was, what happened if he were to die? Because he wasn't sure that he had eternal life. He hears about a teacher named Jesus, and he's saying to himself, maybe this guy will help me, because in this guy's mind, he had almost enough juice to get there. He had, he had almost enough chips to get over the line and have eternal life, but he realized he didn't quite have it, so he thought to himself, maybe I'll go talk to this leader, and he will tell me how I can make it across the top. That's, this is in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. The Bible says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Now, this guy thought he was almost there because he said, you know, I, Jesus, you're a good man. You can help me. I, I know you're a, you're a good leader. You're a good teacher. You're a good man. And if I can just get the answer from you, I'm going to have enough juice to get there, and I'm going to have eternal life. I really think there are many people who attend church in America just like this. It's a feeling that, you know, I'm pretty nice. If I ever ask them, are you sure you're going to heaven? Yeah, I, well, I think if anybody makes it, if I think if anybody's got a shot at it, I do. I treat my neighbors nice, and, you know, I, I watch their house when they're on vacation, and I, I cut their grass, and, man, I treat people fair, and when I'm in business, I don't cheat people, and, and you know, I'm a nice guy, and I sent money to the Katrina victims. I, I just think if anybody's got a shot at going to heaven, I think I do. That's exactly what this kind of guy is like. I mean, he feels like in his mind, he's almost there. He just, needs to, he just needs to meet Jesus for a few moments so that he can get enough juice to get over the top. I really think a lot of people are just like that in American churches today. They feel like they're almost there, but they want to go to church because if they go to church, maybe that'll be that, that X factor, that, that missing ingredient that will just get them over the top. So we can understand why he would go to Jesus. He said, you know, good teacher, tell me what I got to do to get over the top. Now, Jesus does something rather interesting in verse 19. He answers a question with a question. Look at Jesus' question in verse 19. He said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. That's our first hint that there is something wrong with this man's question. Have you ever heard the saying, there's no such thing as a dumb question? Well, there, there is such a thing as a dumb question. Probably every teacher here knows that there is such a thing as a dumb question. I mean, uh, let me qualify that real quickly. Anybody who has a sincere desire to get information, that, that's not a dumb question. But think about this. Most of our questions involve assumptions, and therein can lie the dumbness. If our assumptions are wrong, our question can be wrong. For instance, if I came to you today and I wanted to buy something from you, I said, and I said to you, how much will you sell this to me for? 
If it's something that you might sell me, that's a, that's a logical question. For instance, if I came to you and said, hey, I like your car, what would you sell it to me for? You might not want to sell it, but you probably wouldn't throw a rock at me for asking the question because that's the kind of question that's legitimate. But by the same token, ladies, if I came out to you today and said, hey, what will you sell me your wedding ring for? I'd make you upset because it's not for sale. See, I would, I would have made an inference, I would have made an assumption that makes my question dumb. And that's what was happening with this guy. This guy came up to Jesus and said, hey, you're a good man. You're going to tell me how to get over the top. You're going to show me how to get enough chips to have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute. Why are you calling me good? Jesus said, because there's nobody good but God. Are you beginning to get a feeling here that this man is on a different page with Jesus? A couple things that you and I need to consider about Jesus' question that he asked him is, first of all, Jesus' statement, nobody's good. Now, that's a hard one right there. Because, see, right out of the box, it kind of shakes us up a little bit. Because the guy I talked about a few moments ago says, hey, I'm almost there. I'm really pretty good. If anybody's got a chance, I... Jesus just said, nobody is good but God. That's Billy Graham. That's Mother Teresa. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. Jesus said only one person is good, and that's God. The second thing that Jesus is inferring this guy is he doesn't know who he's talking to. Because Jesus is saying, listen, if I'm God... That's the wrong question to ask me. And if I'm not God, why are you asking me? Because I'm no different from you. i got to find the answer just like you have to find the answer. What he's really calling for this guy to do is to understand that Jesus truly is God. And as God, he's not there to be a life coach. He's there to be God. But by the way, let me say this. Every single one of us here today, we have to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? He's either God or he's a man. And if he's a man, he's human like you and me. And he's, he really can do us no good. If he's God, on the other hand, he is who the Bible claims he is. And I, I say that for a reason. There's a book out now called The Da Vinci Code. I was flying to Ohio last week where I was speaking. On, I was flying on Saturday afternoon, and, and I looked out, and there was a 20, 22, 23-year-old girl sitting right next to me, and she had a copy of The Da Vinci Code. She was just engrossed in it. And the book's out and sold a lot of copies. The movie's coming out. You know, Ron Howard's producing it. Tom Hanks is starring in the movie. And the whole idea, it's fiction, but the idea is that, that Jesus was just an ordinary person, that, you know, there was this conspiracy. You know, oh, man, don't you just hate conspiracies, you know? Because it's so, so amazing how Americans will attach to a conspiracy. And you realize how that nobody can keep anything secret. Just look at the Bush White House. I mean, if anybody could keep anything secret, you would think the power, they, you know. But it's just amazing to me how that, that people will attach to these conspiracy theories that the, there was this male-dominated culture of the church. And there were these gospels that said that really Peter wasn't supposed to be the head of the church, that Mary Magdalene was supposed to be the head of the church. And I got a flash for everybody. Neither one of them is the head of the church, Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. But, and then, you know, it's all this weird stuff and that Jesus got married to Mary Magdalene. He had children. Their descendants are out there somewhere today. And people are kind of, you know, saying, wow, listen to that. Isn't that interesting? And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not being hard about this, but probably, you know, any first-year Bible history student in first semester could, deb- could debunk easily all that stuff. But you've got the culture going back and forth. Well, maybe Jesus is who the Bible says he is, or maybe he's this person in the Da Vinci Code. All I'm saying is figure out who he is. Sell out for it. If you read the Da Vinci Code and you say that's Jesus, then sell out for it. Hang everything on that. If you read the Bible and you say Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then sell out for that because it's so important. Because here's what the Bible says about how to have eternal life. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life, go to heaven. So what's the difference between heaven and hell according to the Bible? It's believing in Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying, this guy. He's saying, you've got to make your mind up about who I am. You can't rattle around about this. If you're going to call me good, I must be God. If, you're, if, I'm, not, if I'm not God, then don't ask me this question. Very important thing. The, 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 the young ruler should have stopped at that moment and backed up a little bit and said, wow, that's a, that's a heavy question. I need to settle it. But Matthew's gospel tells us something. Matthew's gospel says that when the man came to Jesus, he came running up to Jesus. He was in a hurry. He had deals to do. He wanted to add God to his portfolio. I mean, he was in a hustle. He was like the average American. Got stuff to do, people to see. He got deals to make. And, and you know, I'm going to just run by on my lunch hour and talk to Jesus and say, hey, you're a good man. You're going to get me over the top. And I'm in a hurry here. Help me, help me have God in 30 minutes or less. And so Jesus says, and this is in verse, verse, 19, or verse 20, but he said, uh, but as for your question, that's, that's tantamount to saying, okay, if you want to play it that way, you've asked me, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus is saying, okay, you haven't stopped to figure out who I am and why I'm on the earth. But if you want to play it that way, if you want to find out how to get to heaven and do it your way, because see, here's the deal. This guy wanted to get into heaven and be the project manager of the whole thing. He wanted to manage it. I want to manage my, my salvation. So Jesus is saying, okay, if that's how you want to do it, you know the commandments. And in, 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 uh, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, verse 21, same story. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, and that's what it takes to go to heaven. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, here's the commandments. Now, this is kind of interesting because Jesus really kind of quotes in commandment 5 through 10. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. Conspicuously absent are the first four commandments, which are the really tough ones about, you know, worshiping God more than anybody else. But Jesus is leaving that aside for the moment. He's actually throwing him a slow pitch here, which are the commandments that have to do with interpersonal relationships. And the man said in verse 21, I have obeyed these commandments since I was a child. That would have been, he would have said, since my bar mitzvah, since I became a son of the law, I, I've done all these things. But Jesus doesn't contradict him. You know, that's a big thing, you know, because think about these commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't, don't lie, honor your father and mother. That'd be pretty tough to go through life and not break one of those commandments. I mean, I would have lost that honor your father and mother when I was about three or less, okay? But this guy said, I've done all those things. And Jesus said, verse 22, there is still one thing you lack. Now, I have a, you know, I've always told you guys, for all you old-time church people, you know what I mean by this. I have a flannel graph mind. I see this stuff. I'm watching this guy. You know, he's got, his, he's got his day runner out or his Blackberry or whatever. I mean, he's ready. Jesus has said, it's down to one thing. You just got one thing you got to do. And this guy's all ears. He's thinking to himself, this is what I came for. A lot of people had the idea, religiously speaking, that, that going to heaven was because of one big thing that you did. And this guy's saying, okay, I knew it. This, this young teacher, he's going to tell me how to have enough juice to get across the top. He's ready to go. Jesus is saying, one thing you got to do. What was that one thing? Let's read it together. Verse 22. Sell all you have, give the money to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, is that the way to go to heaven? I mean, and let's just be honest about that today. Does, is God asking you to go out, li- liquidate all your possessions, and come live in a monastery? No, that's not how to get to heaven. Remember, Jesus is saying, if you want to play this your way, I mean, if, if, this is, if you're going to be the project manager, and if you're going to go to heaven because you're a pretty nice guy, and you're a good guy, and you do things nice for people, then you've got to be perfect. And Jesus is saying, there's one thing you lack. The thing was, Jesus knew he would never do this. Because he loved his money, and he loved his possessions. He wanted to add God to his stuff. And Jesus said, okay, one thing you lack. Go sell everything, give it all away, and come follow me. you got treasure in heaven. Now, that was a true statement, because if you did that, you would have treasure in heaven. But the Bible says he became very sorrowful. Now, in, in, our, in our translation, it says he became sad, but the Greek word is very colorful. It's the Greek word stugnazo, which means that his face began to cloud over. You know, we Kansans, we're accustomed this time of year to see the storms come up in the northwest, and you see those dark, black, dark blue, green clouds boil up, and that's the word that the Bible uses to describe this guy's face. When Jesus told him this, his face clouded up. And then verse 24, some of the saddest words in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus watched him go. Wow. This guy walked away. As far as we know, he's in a Christless eternity today. Jesus watched him go. And don't think that the Lord was hard about this because Mark says in his gospel, chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. He was an attractive person. He was a lot like the guy you want for your neighbor or the, you know, the person you want to marry or the person you want your kids to hang with. I mean, this was a nice guy, and Jesus loved him. The problem was he wanted to play it his way. Are you interested in hearing Jesus' commentary on this? The guy has now walked away. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's going to tell them what they just saw. Verse 24. He said to his disciples, how hard it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's pretty hard. You ever try to sew? You know, I can't even, my eyes are so bad I can't even get thread through a needle. Couldn't do anything with it if I could get it through. But I sure can't see it, you know. And to cram a camel hair hide hooves and all through a needle? That'd be tough. You know, I hear some, I mean, this is kind of an aside. I've heard Bible scholars say, well, ah, the needle was this gate and the camel had to get on his knees. And listen, forget that because Jesus said it's impossible. Those who heard it, verse 26 said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, listen, church, what is impossible from a human perspective is possible with God. Now do you understand the story? This guy wanted to go to heaven on his own terms, from the human perspective. And Jesus said, okay, if you want to play it that way, here's how to do it. But the guy walked away and he wouldn't do that. And the disciples were just blown away with this. And Jesus said, those things that are impossible, humanly speaking, are possible with God. If you have the Gospel of Luke 18 open, you'll see there's another little story that comes up before this one. And so I want to take you there for just a moment, if I could, before we close the service today. This is in 18, chapter 18, verse 9. 
Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a dishonest tax collector. Okay, now you're listening to Jesus. Okay, you're back in time. You're listening to Jesus teach. Jesus is telling the story. He's saying, the other day, we, down at the temple, there were a couple of guys who went to the temple, and they both went to pray. One was a member of Messiah Baptist Church, or any church that you can imagine, Sunday school teacher, pastor. And the other guy was a scumbag. Now, if you're listening to this story and you're thinking, okay, man, a very religious person going to church and a very bad person going to church, we know who's going to do business with God. The religious guy is. But not according to Jesus' story. Let's read the rest of it here. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like anyone else or everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Sounds like a pretty nice guy, right? Except for one thing. He's got the same disease this other guy had. He's doing it on his own terms. God, I thank you that I'm so good. <laughs> I'm so much better than everybody. You know, we wouldn't say that. But doesn't it really come out sometimes? Man, I come on Sunday night. I give a lot of money. See, it, it's very deceptive. Very deceptive. Stuff we don't even articulate. You know, Jesus, Jesus is drawing this out of the story. He's drawing words out that we might not ever say, but often things that are at the core of our existence. And so this guy's saying, I'm so good. Now, there's this dishonest tax collector. These guys were the scum of the earth. But notice what this guy prayed. In, in verse 13, the Bible says, The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, not the religious guy, this sinner returned home justified before God, for the proud will be humbled and the humble will be honored. Isn't it interesting how these two stories juxtapose against each other? The attractive guy, the rich guy, the young guy, the religious guy, the nice guy, he came to Jesus and said, I have almost enough chips to get home. Help me get enough to get across the line. And Jesus said, if you want to play it your way, here's how you do it. You've got to be perfect. And he walked away. And here's this, here's this scumbag. I mean, the kind of person that you wouldn't want anywhere close to you. But he knew he was wrong. He knew, he was, he knew things were not right in his life. And he goes to the temple to pray, and he's the kind of guy, you know, I, I've talked to some, some people before who say, well, pastor, if I come down to the church, the ceiling will fall in on me. That's how this guy felt. And he couldn't even believe he was at the temple, but he needed God. And he wouldn't even look up when he prayed, and he hit himself in the chest. And he said, God, I don't bring any chips. I don't have any juice at all. I don't have anything to offer. Would you be merciful to me, a sinner? And Jesus said, this guy went home right with God. The other day, I, I was just running into a whole lot of stuff, and, and I realized I wasn't going to be able to get through by myself, and I called Mary Alice, and I said, 
babe, I know you're busy, and she was very busy. I said, Could, is there any way you can drop what you're doing and help me? And she said, absolutely. And she did, and she made things work for me, and, and she often does. And when I saw her at the end of the day, I said, Marilyn, I'm so sorry. I'm always asking you to do things for me. And I said, I feel really bad that I had to, you know, to, to get you to go out of your way. And she said, Mark, I'm glad you asked me. I love being needed. That's how God feels. If you walk into God and tell him you're almost there, that you're already pretty good, you just told him that he didn't need to put his son on a Roman cross. If you, if you tell God that you're nice and you're friendly and you're pretty good and, and that surely if anybody's going to heaven, you will, you just told God you didn't need him. But if, on the other hand, you say, God, <laughs> I'm a mess. See, that's the odd thing. That's what we don't want to feel. Isn't that peculiar? I mean, it's like people saying, oh, when I go to church, I don't want to feel that way. That's the very feeling that gets you into the door with God. It's that feeling that says, Lord, I don't bring anything. Lord, I have things in my life that I'm ashamed of. There are things in my life I don't know what to do with. But when you come to God that way, that's like telling God, God, I need you. Remember Jesus' question? Who do you think I am? You think I'm a good teacher who can help you get over the top? Or do you think I'm the son of God who came into this world to die for you, to save you? I'll tell you this. If you need him, He'll reach out to embrace you.